My topic today is, it's planting time. And you have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to camp out there. And one of the things that we'll see is that Jesus is always teaching principles that can apply to everybody, everywhere, at any time. And he will be unpacking for us a principle referred to as sowing and reaping. I love the way Jesus taught because he taught in such a practical way that everybody could understand. The most uh, erudite scholar to the person that's very simple academically, they all understood. There was a large crowd that gathered to hear Jesus teach. And in the crowd, there were religious people and irreligious people. In the crowd, there were some that were hanging on every word that he said because they wanted their lives to be changed to conform to God's desires for their lives. And yet there were others in the crowd that they just wanted to say that, yeah, I went to one of Jesus' crusades, such a great teacher, but they cared nothing about having their lives changed to conform to God's wishes. But yet Jesus taught so that everybody could understand. And I want us to go now and be a part of that crowd Let's look at verse 1, Matthew 13. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. And the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred 60 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. A lot of people are not accustomed to using parables in bringing out truths. A parable is an earthly story that have a heavenly meaning. To get more technical, it's a form of speech called rhetoric. It's a convincing kind of speech. Politicians use it when they're campaigning, convincing us to vote for them. Preachers use it when they're preaching, as am I, to convince us to abandon this way of thinking and adopt that way of thinking. That's what Jesus was using. And he was using the ordinary issue of farming. And for us today in our modern society, we're far removed from farms. We have no idea. We think tomatoes, they grow at Whole Foods. They got them in the back. Corn, you get that from ShopRite. <laughs> no. Jesus says, this farmer, he goes out to plant his seeds. So he has a big pouch around his shoulder, puts his hand into the pouch, grabs seeds, and he starts to broadcast them, which is to scatter them. The Bible tells us there were four kinds of soils on which the seed fell. First kind, the path. 
That was the walkway or shortcut that most people took when they're walking through someone's farm. They would take a shortcut through Farmer John's farm, cut through there so they can get home quicker, or get to the store quicker, get to the marketplace quicker. So that place where they cut through, the ground became hardened, beaten down, so that, hence they referred to it as the path. And so when you look to understand the meaning of this parable, it was the latter part of chapter 13 where the disciples said, Jesus, you're speaking in these riddles. We don't understand what you're trying to say. Farmers, seeds, path, soil, rocky. And so Jesus, let me spell it out for you. The seed is my word. The path represents the kind of hearer that when I teach, they don't understand. And so birds come and just pick the seeds, and so the seeds never enter their hearts and germinate. There's a second soil. That soil is rocky ground. So when the seeds are thrown on the soil, the rocks are there, it grows quickly, but since it doesn't have any root system because of rocks, the seeds or the plants, they die. That represents the kind of hearer who has instant joy, but never connects his life or her life with the community of faith, with the Word of God, and so as a result, their quick joy, it just fizzles out because they never have, they have no root system in which to grow. Then he says there's a third kind of hearer. That's where the seed hits the thorny soil, and thorns, he tells us, represents the worries of life, represents the deceitfulness of wealth. And when the worries of life, what am I going to do with my kids? My husband's driving me crazy. Or my wife, she just makes me bananas. You know, I don't have, you know, I'm sick. I'm, I don't know what to do with my parents. And so the worries of life chokes out the word, and the word never grows. Then Jesus says, there's the fourth kind, the good soil. When the word, the seed, is cast on that soil, it germinates and grows into a harvest. And the harvest is a hundred times, or in some instances, 60 times, or in other instances, 30 times what was sown. And then he says, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. So he's talking about sowing and reaping. Now, for me to teach, that was all the appetizer. We're going to get into the meal. I need to know that you are not the path, the rocky soil, the thorny soil. Those kinds of people, wrong place. They're in the parking lot. You have to be the good soil. And the good soil hears, understands, and lets the word take root in his or her life. And they grow in fruitfulness because there are some fruitful things that God wants to do in your life. In your marriage, with your children, with your parents, with your career, with your finances, with your health. I mean, every one of those areas, God wants it to become increasingly fruitful. So you have a harvest a hundred times, sixty times, thirty times, whatever seed has been sown into you. How many would like that? Would you say with me then out loud, I am good soil. Teach me the word and I'll work the word so I may become a flourishing, bountiful, plentiful harvest. Thank you for your permission. Now I may begin. What's so great about this timeless principle of sowing and reaping? Everything starts with a seed. 
The farmer knew there was life in the seed. When he donned his pack filled with seeds and walked out into the area where he was about to broadcast the seed, he did that knowing that I dare not sit on my porch and hope for a harvest, having never planted a seed. Why did he think that? Because everything starts with a seed. The farmer dared not stand in his kitchen and look out the window on his field and pray, God, give me a great harvest, having never planted a seed. For him to do that would be ridiculous. For him to do that, it would be something that was silly. For him to do that, he would be tempting God. For him to do that, he would be ignoring Scripture. For him to do that, he'll be violating an unchallengeable law that God has put in place. And many of us are guilty of doing just that. We pray, and we've never planted. Imagine... You drove up to this campus one day and you saw me on top of the roof. So what in the world is Pastor David doing on top of the roof? Pastor. I said, hey. He said, what are you doing up there? I said, I'm frustrated. He said, what are you frustrated about? Some of the people in the congregation, they never grow. I'm sick of it. So what are you doing up there? I'm going to jump just to show them that when I pray, God does things. And I'm going to jump off this roof, and, and I'm going to ask God while I'm jumping to not let me fall on the ground. Some of you, if I did that, you say, <laughs> you try to push me. <laughs> Just, <laughs> I'll push you. But I'm standing by the ledge, and I'm getting ready. And some will say, don't do it, don't do it. Others will say, I want to see what's going to happen. So I can tell people I was there. And then I jump. And as I'm jumping, I start praying a godly prayer. Lord, I've lived a righteous life as best as I know how. Because I serve you, let me not fall to the ground in Jesus' name. And while I'm saying in Jesus' name, bam. Because how could I dare pray to ask God to change one of His unchangeable laws of gravity because I want to now use the principle of prayer to change God's unchangeable law? Preposterous. That law has been put in motion and God established the law of gravity. And so you're going to come falling down. I don't care how tall you are, how young you are, how old you are, how nice you are, how godly you are, how wicked you are, at 32.2 feet per second hitting that ground. And you can be praying in the name of the Lord, boom, you'll hit the ground. And you don't dare get angry with God because God says, I put that law in motion. It works for everybody, everywhere, anytime. It always works. Such is the case with the law of sowing and reaping. It works for everybody, everywhere, every time. It always works. Everything starts with the seed. 
When I was 10 years old, I knew nothing about this principle. I remember my dad going to the hardware store. We lived in New York, goes to the neighborhood hardware store. He said, any of you kids want to come with me? And they're four Ireland kids. I said, yeah, I want to go. I always loved going to the hardware store, looking around. So I get in the car, we go to the hardware store, he picks up whatever he wants, he's at the cash register, a cashier to pay for things, and at the hardware store on the counter, there's always these little pack, packets of seeds, and they're different kinds, seeds to plant cabbage, watermelon, but what caught my eye was this little packet of seed for 25 cents that showed sunflower plants. Big, huge sunflower, about maybe 12, 14 inches in diameter, these yellow, brilliant flowers around the entire perimeter of this big ball. And I said, man, that looks good. So I took it up, and I just turned it over, and I started reading it. And it says, if you plant this seed, six to eight weeks, you'll have a six-foot-tall sunflower bursting with yellow colors. I said, these people are lying. It's ridiculous. And so I, I said, Dad, can you buy this for me? He's 25 cents, sure. I'm sitting in the back seat. I'm reading this thing. On the way home, I couldn't wait to get home. I got home, and there's this little plot of, of ground in front of the house, apart from the front yard, the lawn, and the backyard. There's this little area. And I said, I'm going to plant these seeds right there. And it said, plant them six inches apart. I ripped that package open, plucked it in, plucked it in, plucked it in, plucked it in. Then it says, cover it up. Plant it two inches deep, cover it up, and pour water on it. I poured water on it. I came out an hour later, nothing. <laughs> These guys are lying. And I remember going to, to school that week, and every day I'm coming from school, I'm looking, I see nothing. And then about a week later, then I see this sprout. And then another week, it's growing. And then six to eight weeks, this huge sunflower plant with this big sunflower bursting with yellow, vibrant flowers around the perimeter. And I was shocked. I learned that day, everything starts with a seed. You have to realize that. Paul said in Galatians 6 and verse 7, do not be fooled. You cannot cheat God. People harvest only what they plant. If they plant to satisfy their sinful selves, their sinful selves will bring them ruin. But if they plant to please the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, they will receive eternal life from the Spirit. Wow. Sowing and reaping is an unchallengeable and unchangeable principle. You may say, well, what, what are seeds if you're sowing? Seeds represents your thoughts, your words, your actions, your investment of time. It even represents your money. And the interesting thing is well, we're reaping today what we sowed yesterday. And we'll reap tomorrow what we sow today. So tomorrow's harvest is based on today's seed. Worrying won't change anything. Plant a seed today, 
to predict tomorrow's harvest. Stop worrying. Solomon weighs in on the conversation in Ecclesiastes 11 verse 4 and says, If you worry about the weather and don't plant seeds, you won't harvest a crop. See, your seeds are your thoughts, your words, your actions. They are your investment of time and even your money. And so when you think about, I want to have a harvest of love in my marriage, invest it. I want a harvest of kindness with my children from them towards me. Sow it. This teacher called Mr. Smith and said, Sir, I'd like to have an appointment with you as early as possible to talk about your son, Timothy. He rushed to the school the next evening. He said, what's going on? The teacher said, Sir, I hate to bring this news to you, but your son has been stealing things from the class. Stealing? What's he stealing? He's taking the bottles of glue. He's taking some of the crayons. He's taking the paper. He's even stolen some pens. What? I don't understand it. We have such a wonderful home. And his mother and I, we're great parents. We teach him good morals. If he wanted that kind of stuff, all he'd do is tell me. I would have brought some home from the office. You reap what you sow. Don't sit around worrying. Plant a seed. The principle of sowing and reaping applies in every area of life. Every area. Are you familiar with the mighty sequoia tree in California? Also known as the redwood trees. They grow to over 350 feet tall. And they're 24 feet in diameter. I want you to get a concept as to what 24 feet is. When I go to this point of the stage right here, and I walk all the way over to this point of the stage, it's exactly 24 feet. The redwood trees are this wide in diameter. As big as those trees are, what I find so alarming is that they come from planting tiny seeds. In other words, everything starts with a seed. What is it in your life that you want to harvest tomorrow? What is it that you want to see as some crop that you yield? Whatever area, business, finances, relationships, Plant seeds in those areas and nurture the seeds and watch them grow into a harvest tomorrow. Why? Everything starts with a seed. That's what Jesus was saying through this, this parable to the audience as they were listening. And he talked about this good soil that germinated and then grow, grew to, uh, to, to a harvest of 100 times what was sown or 60 times what was sown. Or in some instances, 30 times what was sown. Because Jesus understood that seeds have life. See, the farmer went out to plant. Why did he go out to plant? He knew seeds have life in them. They have the innate ability on a cellular level to produce a crop based on the life that's inside of them. It's interesting that when you plant an apple seed, 
It yields an apple tree that bears apples on the tree. And when you plant an orange seed, it yields an orange tree that produces oranges, not grapes, not bananas. But an orange seed has the DNA to be able to produce what it is. Because seeds have life. Plant kindness and you'll reap kindness. Plant nastiness and you'll reap nastiness in return. Seeds have life. John 12 verse 24, Jesus is speaking. And listen to what he says. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Now Jesus was using the metaphor of sowing and reaping to speak of himself. He says, when I die, my death is going to produce many lives. And so Jesus says that when I die, that burial, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, he says, my death, it create, creates redemption for those who accept me as Savior. And so people then experience transformation of life because of his death. If Jesus had never died, we could never have eternal life. And Jesus says that unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it'll stay a single seed. And it'll never produce a harvest. And so I've learned then, what I have in my hand is either my harvest or my seed. If I keep it in my hand and never plant it, it is my harvest. If I plant it, it is my seed. Jesus was telling us that seeds have life. So remember, your thoughts, your words... Your actions, your investment of time, your giving of finances towards certain efforts, all of those activities are seeds and they have life in them. And even as a parent, we've got to be very careful when we're interacting with our kids, even when we're silent, because we may be sowing seeds that we'd hate to see. A friend of mine, named Frank. He said, David, I just had this real emotional conversation with my son. And Frank was in his late 60s. And the son, he has two sons, and this particular son, Bob, was about 42, 43 years of age. And Bob was married and had two kids of his own. He said, I just got off the, got off the phone with my son, Bob. I said, well, what are you talking about? He said, he said, I called him because I learned something when I went to a men's meeting. The, men, or the man that was teaching was talking about how my words and my actions, they're seeds. And when I sow them, they either produce a wonderful harvest or they produce a very painful crop. He said, my mind went back to 30 years ago when my son Bob was in Little League. He's 12 years of age. And his team was playing against another team. And this was a major, major game. And his team was down one run. And my son Bob was up to bat. Two outs. And for you, no baseball. There were two players on the bases. And when Bob got up, and they were pitching at Bob, and Bob had two strikes against him, 
and then the ball came in and he swung and he missed the ball and struck out. The first thing Bob did when he struck out, he looked up in the stand to look at me, his dad. And when he did that, I simultaneously was going like this and hanging my head in shame, embarrassed, thinking to myself, my son, he stinks. Bob saw my reaction. We never said anything about it, he told me. But from that men's meeting, it started to bother me. And I called Bob. So Bob's 42. He's married, got kids. This is 30 years ago. I said, Bob, do you remember when you're in Little League, when you're 12 years of age and you struck out at that real significant game? And I hung my head and slapped my forehead. He said, yeah, Dad, I remember. Frank said, Bob, I hurt you deeply by what I did. I wish I could undo it. Please, son, forgive me. The phone got quiet. And all of a sudden, Frank started crying on the other end. And Bob started crying on the other end like babies. And Bob, it was in his heart all those 30 years. And so, it's amazing how seeds have life. Our thoughts, our words, our action, they have life. And as parents, we have to be very conscious of this. If a child lives with criticism, he learns to condemn. If a child lives with hostility, she learns to fight. If a child lives with fear, he learns to be apprehensive. If a child lives with jealousy, she learns to feel guilty. If a child lives with acceptance, the flip side of all that negative stuff, if a child lives with acceptance, he learns to love. If a child lives with approval, she learns to like herself. If a child lives with fairness, he learns what justice is. If a child lives with love, she learns that the world is a wonderful place to live in. Seeds have life. And I want us to understand that because we're all sowing. And we're, and we're sometimes consciously, sometimes unconsciously. And we have to see though that seeds have life to them. And the harvest lies in the potential of the seed. Dormant seeds still carry life. The oldest plant ever regenerated came from 32,000-year-old seeds. Take a look at the picture. A Russian team discovered a seed cache of this flowering plant native to Siberia. They reasoned the seed had been buried by an Ice Age squirrel near the bands of the Kolyma River. Radiocarbon dating confirmed that the seeds were 32,000 years old. I mean, it is amazing. This is one of the things that we struggle with about the whole issue of sowing and reaping. We think that when we sow, we just, we, we just, we're giving stuff away. No, 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 no. You are planting because seeds have life. Our issue is that we just don't know well, what's going to happen. Where, where is all of this? 
Seeds release their life after planting. The Judean date palm tree. This plant is referred to as Methuselah. You know, from the Bible character, the oldest plant. But that was called the name before a recent you know, finding of this particular flowering plant in Siberia. But the Judean date palm, it, was, it sprouted in a laboratory in the year 2005 from a 2,000-year-old seed. The ancient seeds were found in the 1960s in the Masada Fortress on the edge of the Dead Sea in Israel. Through carbon dating, they turned out to be around 2,000 years old, these seeds, dating back to the time of Jesus. And I wanted you to see that seeds have the stuff in it that brings forth life. Seeds have life in it. But sometimes when we sow our seeds, we don't realize it's not your job to try to figure out what's going to happen when I sow my seed. Where is it going? Well, God's going to bring me a harvest. I don't understand any of those things. That's above your pay grade. That's not your job to figure that out. Your job is to follow the principle of Scripture and plant your seed. It is God's job to figure out how He's going to work all of His supernatural stuff and miraculous stuff to bring about the harvest for you. I discovered this when I first came to Jesus. I was 20 years old, way back before the flood. The flood of Noah. <laughs> Our church was having a building fund. I was a grad student at the time. And you know how it is when you're a student in college. You don't have any money, and, and so I'm just listening because it doesn't have any relevance to me. I have nothing. I can't be of any help. I'm just here. I'm in school. And then they gave out these little cards for people to make a commitment, and they're passing it down a row, and I took one. And so I'm looking at it. It says, what kind of seed can you sow, that's what the card's saying, towards us accomplishing this building? Next thing I knew, my pen was out of my pocket, and I'm filling out this card, and then I wrote down on it $300. That's equivalent to $30 million, because I had neither. Then dropped the card in the basket, it just kept going. Now think about it. I'm saying, why did I do that? I'm a college student, I, got, I don't have that. About a week later, some friends of mine says, hey Dave, let's... Let's go up to Buffalo, New York. There's a crusade going on. Now, I was in New Jersey. I was at Stevens Tech, and, and that's where I lived, in the dorms. And so they really asked me because I was the guy who had the car. So here we are. We're driving eight, nine hours up to Buffalo, and this is, I've, I'm a young Christian, about four months old in my faith. I've never been in a crusade before. I was like a kid in a candy store. I'm listening. I'm watching. I'm looking around. I'm just absorbing everything. And as that's going on, then all of a sudden, the, you know, the, you know, this, you know, this excitement was there. And I said, wow, God, I just love you so much. And so we didn't have any funds to stay at a hotel, so there we are. After the meeting, we jump back in the car. We're driving another eight, nine hours to New Jersey. My friends are all sleeping. I'm driving. It's dark outside on the highway. About two hours into the drive, I look over on the shoulder of the highway, and I see this man out there with a white handkerchief just waving it, just flailing it. And I did something that I had never done before. I decided to pull my car over. 
Now, I grew up in New York. You don't pull your car over for anybody. Even if you see your mother out there, you say, I hope mom can get home because I don't know what mom's trying to do. I just, I hope she gets home. I mean, so that's just your thinking. And so I pull my car over. And so as I, I back up and I get there and the man says, you're the only person who stopped for me. My car ran out of gas. My wife and our little kids are in the back and it's freezing. This was like January. So it's freezing and I ran out of gas and we've been here for hours Thank you for stopping. And he pulled out one of the little red canisters and said, Do you mind? Can you take me to the nearest gas station? I'll get gas and then bring me back around. I said, Sure. And so while we're in the car, we're talking and we're going back and forth. And he's asking, What do you do? And I said, Well, I'm a grad student at Stevens. And, and he's asking me questions. And, and, and then we're talking, which is going. And then we got gas, brought it back around. I helped him get pour the gas into his gas tank. His car started up. And before he drove off, he gave me one of those handshakes. I don't know if you ever had one. Your, your hand, it's curved. So the guy, he curves his hand because he has money in there. It's tucked in. Somehow he, your hand's able to hold it. It's tucked in. And, and it's curved. And, so, and, and there are rules of when you make the transition. You never look at the person's hand. And they don't look at your hand. I don't know how we got those rules, but those are the rules. And so you don't look at each other's hands, but you just, you know something's happening. It's almost like a drug deal. And you know it's happening. And then this thing's happening so seamlessly. And so I'm not looking down, but then I said to him, I said, sir, you don't need to give me anything. I, I just did it out of the, the, the goodness of my heart. I just, I just felt impressed to, to just stop and help you. And I tried to get a little bit spiritual. I just felt like God told me to stop. You know, this. and so, and then he's just, it was a bit weird for him. And so he just, he had his hand clasped. He said, sir, he said, young man, please, I insist. And I said, okay. And so he had his hand clasped, and so I didn't look, and then he made the transition came so smoothly, and then when it came into my hand, and you're not supposed to look at it when you get it, you're supposed to just slip it into your pocket. That's part of the rules. And so I slipped it into my pocket, and then I got back in the car, and as we were driving off, my friends, they woke up now. All of a sudden, they woke up. They said, Dave, what did he give you? What did he give you? Because all of us were college students and we, we, you know, we were hungry. And, so, and then I pulled it out of my pocket. It was three $100 bill, bills. And then they said, hey, let's go to the diner. Let's get some food. And I said, no, that's my seed. That's what God gave to me. I want you to see that you must understand the power of, it wasn't my job to try to think about and figure out how God was going to get it to me. My job was to be obedient. And so I learned that day, everything starts with a seed. Seeds have life. And I also learned seeds solve problems. Most of us never see that. And Jesus, when he was giving that parable in Matthew 13, verse 8 and 9, Jesus said, Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Jesus was teaching us that somehow when that farmer sowed his seed, and reaped harvest that was a hundred times or sixty times or thirty times the quantity of the seeds that he sowed, the farmer's seeds were solving problems. The farmer was able to feed his family with the harvest. The farmer was able to provide resources, food for the community to buy so that they can also have food to feed their families. The farmer was able to pay for his kids' school, to be able to support his synagogue, to have seeds for another year. Why? Seeds solve problems. 
Now, I must be able to say to you that every, every year around this time of the year, our church goes through this, this time where we give you an opportunity to sow seeds, financial gift into the ministry of Christ's church so that you can have this great opportunity to receive a harvest in your own life in the coming year. We trust God for God to give you wonderful return a hundred times, 60 times, or 30 times what was sown based on our faith. And that's not going to take place today, but fast forward to November 17th, about four weeks from now, we're going to be able to have a time to sow seeds. And what I'm learning is this, is that seeds solve problems. Jesus taught that in Ecclesiastes 11 verse 6, as I close. Solomon says, plant your seed in the morning and keep busy all afternoon, for you don't know it if profit will come from one activity or another, or maybe both. The scripture is encouraging us that it's our job to plant, it's God's job to figure out how the harvest is going to come. And we must realize that seeds solve problems. Do you remember the time when Jesus was having this tremendous crusade and he was preaching for an extended period of time for hours? And the people were, he knew they were hungry. In Matthew 14, Jesus says to his disciples, he said, Feed the people. Now, there are 5,000 men. And most scholars agree when you add up the women and the children, it's 25,000 people. The disciples say, we don't have any food to feed 25,000 people. Send them home. Let them go and buy food along the way. And the Bible says Jesus had compassion on them. He said, no, no, no. Sit them down in groups of 50. He says, is there any food here in, the, in this big audience? One disciple says, yeah, there's just this little kid. He has five barley loaves and two fish. That's like dinner rolls, little small rolls. He says, five of them, little, little lunch pack. And two fish, I mean sardines, almost like guppies. And Jesus says, bring them to me. Could you imagine going up to that little kid? Hey, give me your lunch. What do you mean give my, my mom and my dad prepared lunch? Now, give me your lunch. Jesus wants it. See, most of us struggle with, you're taking a lunch with a little kid? How could Jesus do that? Jesus had a problem. He wanted to feed 25,000 people. He needed a seed. Seeds solve problems. The kid gave it to Jesus. Man, I don't know if that kid went and watched, see what they're going to do. Maybe Jesus is going to eat it. Maybe, I don't know. And Jesus took the, took the bread, blessed it, broke it. And then the disciples started distributing it. And the most miraculous thing occurred. As they were distributing, all 25,000 people had bread and fish. And then the Bible talks about baskets, huge baskets of fragments of bread and fish were left over. A miracle occurred. And how did it start? Seeds solve problems. What problem do you have in your life? You've tried every principle. You've prayed. You've talked to all of the professionals that you know. Nothing has changed. Why not recognize the biblical process? Everything starts with a seed. Seeds have life. And seeds solve problems. I want to encourage you to begin to think about, begin to plan, 
Begin to open your heart. Begin to have an expectation. Begin to have a goal. Begin to think about a harvest and say, God, I want to be able to learn this principle, not theoretically, not something simply as a mental construct, but I want to be able to have stories that can tell people that I have lived and walked through to see how you gave me a harvest based on my planting a seed.